0: Hi, my name is Dr. Richard Mills, and you are listening to Talk Sex with Dick. Today, I am joined with Don Schmall as a special guest on today's uh, program. We are at the Iris Kaplan Center, on, located on the 11th floor between 5th Avenue and uh, 30th Street. And so just to provide a little introduction for Dawn, uh, Dawn is a trauma informed psychotherapist who has extensive experience working with members of and individuals of the LGBTQQAI, whatever the acronyms are, there are many acronyms, uh, And he is well-versed in looking at that. One thing that really makes Don different than a lot of other therapists is his ability to understand that individuals are not their pathology and also looking at how he helps clients learn to uh, access and express um, themselves. Uh, He works specifically around issues of sexual identity, HIV status, sexual abuse, and trauma. And he really brings forth a... He utilizes a harm reduction type of approach when he's working with his patients. And... uh, he is also here and we are glad to have him. He is a member of the Therapy Collective. So welcome to the show, Don.
1: Hi, Richie. Hi. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to have you here because I, one, your story is so powerful and I believe that it is something that needs to be heard but also your experience and what type of work that you do. And I think that you can speak more to that than what I can. So tell us a little bit about how you ended up here at the Iris Kaplan
1: Center. Well, actually, this is a second career for me.
0: Second career. Second Mm. career
1: my first career was in business in magazines and advertising and after many years of doing that i found it to be very very unrewarding emotionally yeah so how many
0: years had you been working in advertising
1: 35 years
0: that's a long time yes
1: it is and i became Mm -hmm. part of the walking dead on Madison Avenue. And what do
0: you mean by the walking dead? Like a cast member? Of the-
1: <laughs> yes, like somebody who walks around all day, is busy, but has no soul.
0: Sure. And so that was when you were doing that work, working in magazines, it was not very fulfilling. For it wasn't
1: fulfilling. It's very fulfilling financially, but it lacks any human emotion it lacks what I find to be important in life and that is sure. relationships
0: and so how did you you so you have an MBA but you left the glamour of the magazine mm-hmm Business to right. the for a new, life of, of poverty, for a life of
1: poverty, all.
0: um and helping others. So, why? So, you went back, got your masters in social right. work, and, right? Mm-hmm. And my
1: my first internship was at GMHC. For those of you who don't know, it's Gay Men's Health Crisis, and it's the leading. Uh, organization fighting HIV/AIDS.
0: So, how long has the GMHC been around?
1: GMHC has been around since the '80s, and it's an outcropping of ACT UP, which is the first AIDS activist so organization when we look, founded by Larry right. Kramer. Right.
0: So, when we look okay. at ACT UP as well, it's always been there. Um, but you know, with specifically like pose, there's right. been well, kind of this Hollywood beautification of act up and
1: right. And it's it's hardly as somebody who lived through the AIDS crisis, I was in New York in 1990 when the first news of the AIDS epidemic first came out and it was, a little article in the paper that said some men in San Francisco had been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer which later everybody knew was kaposi sarcoma and we yeah. all brushed it off at the time but we were a little bit frightened and certainly we didn't know the horror that was to come
0: yeah and so you lived in new york city when... i lived in
1: the heart i lived in ground zero a few blocks from St. Vincent's. And in the later 80s, there wasn't a week that went by without going to a funeral of a a friend or Mm. running into a friend who said, have you seen so-and-so? And And inevitably, if you hadn't seen that person, you just assumed they were dead. And I myself uh, became diagnosed with HIV in 1984. And at that time... I was a sitting duck just waiting to die and it was a scary time. You were scared for your job, you were scared for your health, you were scared for your friends, you were scared to tell your family. There was just so much going on at the time.
0: So for the folks back home that, you know, the experiences of living with HIV you talk about that fear. Why was that fear there?
1: Because there was nothing you could do. You could just pray if you were spiritual, or you just waited for the symptoms to appear. Or if you were lucky like me, you tried experimental drugs like egg lipids, AL-721, mm-hmm. um, all, the, all the drugs that they were trying to protect you from developing infections. Sure.
0: But, and AZT was the only thing on the market.
1: And AZT poisoned a lot of people and hastened the death of a lot of people. So it mm-hmm. helped me in the end, I believe, but I didn't get sick from it, but it was a scary drug. Well,
0: and they just didn't know back then how it was transmitted. It was right. assumed because of mostly like gay men, right? right? It,
1: it was silly.
0: That, I mean, that's really used to be called G.R.E.D.
1: Right. And GRID stood for Gay Related Immunodeficiency mm-hmm. Disease. So it was first known as GRID. you're right.
0: And that is really where we look at and we see the stigma associated with...
1: Being gay and having HIV.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I was growing up, you know, one, there were not really very many out people, but also, two, there was this whole... just a lack of knowledge even in college like in the early you know mid-2000s people were still you know in big metropolitan cities had this concept about HIV there's still you know this concept that even though we know so much about it it's
1: we know a lot about we know a lot about HIV and AIDS But there's still a lot of ignorance out there that's being perpetuated. Um, I am proudly gay. Um, Mm -hmm. However, I don't consider myself a gay therapist. I'm a therapist who happens to be gay, meaning my identity is not purely my sexuality. Sure. But having said that, part of my career was at Housing Works, which is the leading um, part of my experience was at Housing Works, which is the leading provider of housing and health services to those affected with HIV AIDS.
0: Right, which is a huge service, you know, that it's a great service that is here in New York. They also have a thrift store down yeah, in the I village. Think, yeah. I
1: think there's seven or eight thrift stores in Manhattan and how it got started is that with so many gay men dying and having incomes that allowed them to purchase fine things everybody knew that when you went to a housing works thrift shop you were getting the finest stuff however you also knew it was at the expense of somebody who had died of HIV typically back Mm. then at least things are a little bit different now
0: yeah. it's. I mean, it's definitely different. When you were diagnosed, it was what year?
1: 1984. And mm-hmm. I remember my boyfriend, partner of five years at the time, threw me out on the street and told my parents to come and get me. And at the time, my parents didn't even know I was HIV positive or gay. Mm-hmm. So they picked me up and I told them the news that Ken had kicked me out of the house. And by the way, I'm dying. And mm-hmm. my mother said, well, I don't care about the gay part because they used to be called bachelors in my day. And she made a little bit of a joke about mm-hmm. it. She said, the part that I'm concerned about is you dying. And I told her about HIV and AIDS and never once did she look back. She was my strength and is part of the reason why I believe I'm still alive today. Sure. But, so... Luckily, I was not one of those people kicked to the curb.
0: Yeah, and you know, at that time, there was all those, you talked about the fear of, I mean, there was this whole concept that you could contract HIV and everybody was in like the panic.
1: Right, and if you went to the hospital to visit a friend, you had to put on a hazard suit. You um, nurses were afraid to take care of the patients. My college roommate was in a room that looked like a crime scene with all the tape. Do not pass. Do not go by. And he was dying. He had nobody able to touch him. Um, His parents refused Mm -hmm. to come down and see him because he was gay, not because he was dying. And it was it was tragic. Yeah, but But what I want to say about my experience at Housing Works is it's almost 2000, and it never surprises me that there is still stigma surrounding sexual identity and HIV. And to me, HIV is just a ribbon that ties up what people consider to be a bad package, and that is being gay.
0: Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of stigma still, even with things like Truvada, that, you know, there's still the stigma about HIV.
1: Yeah, exactly. And now, people sometimes reveal their HIV status as something we call doorknob therapy, where it's the last thing they say when they're leaving a room because they're so ashamed. And I never forget one client, who was a trauma survivor and gay he he told me mm-hmm. a, he told me the tragedy of his life and as he was leaving he said i think i'm hiv positive and and what was that like <laughs> for you i felt so tremendously badly for him thinking you should not be carrying this it's mantle of shame or responsibility. Mm -hmm. If you had cancer, you would not be whispering it. If you had a brain tumor, you would not be whispering it. Why is it different with HIV?
0: Why is it different with HIV?
1: Because initially religious groups believed that HIV was the result of bad behavior, immoral Mm. behavior, and it wasn't until Ryan White made it acceptable that uh, Ryan White made it acceptable because Mm. he was an innocent victim of AIDS as opposed to the gay people who had HIV. Ryan White was the first person that broke that moral code.
0: A little fun fact, Ryan White is from Kokomo. Wow. You know, and I, I, there was a movie that was released um, years ago and it was about Ryan White and the way that he was treated was just, I mean, it was horrible.
1: It, it was at first. Nobody would touch him, but ultimately he became the innocent victim of AIDS, because he wasn't gay. And um, he made it possible for congressmen to legislate for AIDS care, which is why we have the Ryan White Act today, because Mm -hmm. they weren't going to legislate on behalf of the gay population. Sure. However, if a little child had AIDS, you you run to... and, And basically, I will say most members of Congress at the time wanted to legislate but they couldn't because they needed to be reelected and their constituencies probably would not have allowed them to vote for something that was pro gay i and mean pro hiv
0: yeah we're living in this state politically you know we feel like we've done so much there's been a lot of progress but there's it's also a very scary time for queer identifying people you right. know in, many, in many
1: ways, we're taking steps backwards, at least in terms of image and sure. threats to identity. And I believe that that contributes to the fear that people have in admitting they're HIV positive or gay, for that matter. Well,
0: and that's, you know, silence does equal, equal death. death. Yes. And I think within, you know, within amongst gay men, I think that we talk about HIV status more. And there's more testing going on. But even there's still, even though it's talked about, there's still this stigma associated with being unclean.
1: Yes, you know that when you look on any of the dating sites, one of the things that is typically posted is drug and disease-free. Disease meaning HIV. As Uh though you correlate clean, drug-free, and HIV-free, and you put them all in the same ballpark. However, what I will say is there's a complacency on the part of many young people in the HIV community who haven't lived through the AIDS crisis Sure. to be a little bit complacent because there is drug therapy now, effective drug therapy. However, it treats the disease. It doesn't treat the emotional elements of HIV. HIV as of today is not curable. To actually have something when you're young that is Mm -hmm. uncurable wreaks havoc on emotions and it it shouldn't be. Sure. um, So what do you think
0: there's got to be because you did live through that and you saw a whole generation of your friends their lives were taken yeah and today we're sitting you know even though there is it's we don't see we're not seeing what it was like
1: it it's it's a little bit deflating because to see people being careless in their choices either using drugs and Sometimes drug use leads to unsafe sex, which leads to HIV. And the natural thing is to think, oh, there's a pill I can take. There's not a pill you can take to alleviate the emotional distress that inevitably you'll face if you have a diagnosis of HIV.
0: Sure, because there is that there's still all the other things that come along with that. Yeah, exactly. What are some as talking in your experience as someone who has lived with HIV? What are some of those other things?
1: I I think there was a time when I was very much aware of being treated as a second-class citizen. Um, Even with relatives, you know, they'd kiss everybody at a party and they'd kiss me on the cheek. Um, Subtle things at work, you know, whispering that you would hear behind your back. Oh, he's HIV positive. The best way to address that today, I believe, is to be out front and open about it. There's no shame involved. It's a disease. It can afflict anybody. You can protect yourself against it to the best of your abilities, but you can only do so much and as sure. far as i'm concerned there's no shame i'm i'm happy that i survived i'm not necessarily proud that i survived i just survived um but i think people have to be aware of the emotional consequences which sure i find in my practice
0: yeah so as you are working with individuals you see in your practice, do you see quite a few individuals who are HIV positive?
1: Yeah, I see a lot and a lot of them feel so self-loathing that they will um, act out sexually or act out with drugs. In fact, I recently had a Mm -hmm. client who found out he was HIV positive and he was awaiting housing, HASA housing and uh he never partied in his life but he was in a shelter and he was so down on himself that one night he partied with some neighbors and used some drugs and he was found dead and it broke my heart because he had such a potential to live a wonderful productive life Mm -hmm. and this all stemmed from his sense of shame regarding his hiv diagnosis
0: (laughs) yeah there's so much shame that I mean, if we look at the concept of HIV, there's just a total shame with that.
1: There is and, and, and but I think the larger picture is that there's still shame that's unaddressed in their sexual identity that they still in the recesses of their mind feel shameful about being gay. And you try to address the whole package, not just the HIV, Mm -hmm. because there's remaining trauma, typically, from having grown up gay.
0: Let's talk about that trauma. Let's go into that, because I think that's really where the story is behind the trauma. I mean, I think, as we look at the generation that's coming up, it's a little bit easier because there's visibility you
1: you think it would be easier but like i said earlier it never surprises me that for a lot of people it's not easier and especially for people from rural evangelical communities um i am now working with a client who moved to new york he's an actor he grew up in an ultra catholic family in indiana um they had to pray every sunday his parents Uh, when he decided he wanted to be a dancer, said he couldn't be a dancer because he's going to go to hell, assuming that all dancers are gay, I guess. Sure. And um, just subtle things that happen in families and day-to-day living.
0: Yeah. I know that when I came out in college, there was still this... there There was this shame associated with it. And I think... You know, people do leave those small towns to come to these bigger cities, but it can, you can feel so lost.
1: You, you do. I, I, I was particularly lucky because I was allowed to wear ballet costumes, fairy princess costumes, and, sure. and I remember going to the doctor with my mother, and he said, Mrs. Schmal, why are you letting your son dress like a fairy princess? And my mother said, because he wants to. So, you know, she was funny. She Mm -hmm. was very progressive for the time. But even today, given that it's 2019, I'm surprised at parents who don't encourage their children to be what they want to be and be who they are and not try to mold them into something they're not. Sure. Which creates the greatest sense of shame.
0: I wonder why, like, I mean, I understand there's this, sometimes there's a religious component that's
1: associated with it, but not always. There's a dogmatic component to it. There's no religion to me that would say that being gay is evil. There's dogma that says that. There's interpretation that that says that. But nowhere in any religion is there any room for treating others differently than yourself.
0: Well, and the church has done such a bang up job of, you know, uh, of accepting and being very sarcastic right now.
1: Right. They're Well, they're being very literal. You know, words mm-hmm. in the Bible, to me, are not meant to be literal. They're meant to be metaphorical. And... It speaks to ignorance if you're going to read the Bible and in- interpret everything. I mean, literally.
0: we there, there has dogma that is specifically created around anti-LGBT, LGBT, right. you know, rhetoric that the that messaging. I mean, the church has really done a lot of damage,
1: and the political situation today is reversing. The positive trends and putting many people back in the closet.
0: Well, and that's, you know, when we look at. So if we look at individuals who are in the closet, they're at greater risk.
1: Exactly. Also, another thing I address with my clients, because I have some older clients who are gay. Betty Davis said that uh, Betty Davis, Betty Davis, Betty Davis, could I be any more gay? Uh, (laughs) Bet- Betty Davis, one of our famous lines is, getting old is not for sissies. And getting older in the gay community is particularly not for sissies.
0: Yeah, because there is this, you know...
1: You don't you know, have your Chelsea body forever.
0: You don't have your Chelsea... And it's, once you lose it, it's not easy <laughs> it, to get it back. And one, And once you lose
1: it, it's not over.
0: Right. <laughs> you know, I think... For the folks back home or, you know, that are listening out there. Uh, so Chelsea, right? There's like the stereotype about like the, the gays who... There's like the, the Hell's Kitchen gays. There's the Chelsea gays. East What's Village the, gays. East Village. So what is the difference between... Well, I
1: think it's just... I think the Chelsea gays moved up to Hell's Kitchen. So I think they're the same. But it's the, it's the concept that... You go to the gym 24-7, you have perfect abs, perfect, you know, every muscle is rippling, and you're young and beautiful, and you're just a sexual object, sure Pure and simple. And as you get older, you have to accept that, gee, you're much more than a sexual object. And isn't that a novel idea? You know, people might want you for your brain. People might want you for your relationships. People might want you just because you're you. It doesn't matter that you're gay, which mm-hmm. is why I say I'm not a gay therapist. I'm a therapist who happens to be gay. Sure. It's a part of
0: our story.
1: Right. It's, it's a small spark. Yeah,
0: it's a small part of your right. story. And I think there's a lot of, I think when we're younger, it's a huge part of our story.
1: Of course. That's how you make your friends when you come to New York. That's sure. your life. It's club life. It's, it's. Going out and meeting friends for drinks. It's listen, everybody likes a nice body.
0: Yeah, there's nothing wrong with having a <laughs> no, nice
1: body. That's why we have sex with Dick.
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, I think as we look at, as we look, I wanted to go back to this concept of, uh, you know, where we're at politically, right? Especially if we look at, like, specifically, like, trans what's going on with people that, who are transgender, identifying as transgender in the military. It makes you wonder, like, what's next?
1: Right. Society is saying you're not OK. There's something wrong with you. There's something less than. hmm. And it's just not true. And if I can stomp that out one person at a time, I've done my job
0: sure and there's this whole experience you know uh, we don't think that people are still in the closet like you know when you hear somebody's not they're not out you know um it, it, it's, it's almost, shocking it's a little shocking <laughs> yeah, yeah but somebody contact me the other day and they're not they're not out and uh, there's this, all these components of their experience, which prevents them from being out.
1: Right. So the shame and sense of responsibility is still with many people today. Mm-hmm. And as we've said, it's partly due to the political climate now.
0: Right. Well, yeah. if you look in like communities of color, HIV is a huge...
1: It, it's, it's, that's where it's growing the fastest. And it's growing in the trans community. Faster than any place else because where do trans people go where they get the love and support that they need? There's very few places and it's not as glamorous as Pose makes it out to be or as fun or as edgy. It's a tragedy. It's not a made-for-TV movie. It's true. It happens.
0: Right. I mean, if we look at homelessness...
1: Homelessness. Okay. You look at all the transgender folks who have to prostitute themselves. It's the only way they can survive. Yeah, they're That's a tragedy. In survival sex And what where... does that lead to? Unprotected sex, HIV. So it's not surprising they're one of the hardest-hit groups right now.
0: Sure. I mean, uh, we really need to reform what we're... The approach, I think, it's like... I feel very strongly about like advocacy of trans people because or trans identifying people because of the fact that I can survive on my own but
1: your sexual identity is not written on you. A trans person has more of a chance of being outed as trans than you sure. would have the opportunity being, of even like game.
0: being a victim of right. like hate like a hate crime. Right. And if we look at it, like on the books, on the like the laws that are there protecting people who are trans, it's not we are not there. Right. And so it's important that everyone rise up to protect I think if anybody if we look at what's going on with the immigration system right now like I feel a very deep conviction inside of me because I think it's important like we it's, it's important to be present for all people that are being impacted by oppression
1: right and, and, discrimination. and what I, right and what I say to my clients is not what's wrong with you. But what's happened to you? Mm-hmm. Because emotional distress and mental illness, everybody has some degree of. Sure. It's really about what happened to them and how they've reacted to what's happened to them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's about making meaning of that trauma story. Because sometimes we can allow our trauma to become a part of our infused identity.
1: Right. And and what I want to say, as you said it earlier in the conversation, is that mental illness is not to be pathologized. It's to be understood.
0: Yeah, because I think when we look for the folks back home, how we look at it is through this book called the DSM and really people are not their diagnosis we use this we uh, try to understand the symptoms so we know how to treat and provide right a place of reference so that a person can grow they can grow within themselves and get appropriate care mm-hmm. yes <laughs> so i want to so right now there's this big push in our community um with things like i'm just gonna take prep and if i take prep then it's gonna be okay and i'm not and i'm not slut-shaming, I'm not saying uh, that individuals who take PrEP are engaging this, they're engaging and whatever anybody's comfortable and I think that people should make informed decisions about their health, their sexual health and I believe that Truvada is a very positive thing but there's this messaging in our culture that just take this pill and
1: yes, however, Richie If you're in a relationship, you know you're monogamous. So you believe that taking prep is going to save your life. It would if your partner is truly monogamous. Mm -hmm. Trust is not always enough. You have to protect yourself. You could have a fight with your partner. He could take it out on you by having unsafe sex with some. Of course, his intent is not to hurt you. But sure. he could then give you HIV. I was dealing with a client the other day. He trusted his partner. His partner wasn't trustworthy, and now my client is hiv positive mm-hmm. it, it's, it's It's just wrong, and he need't go through, he needn't have gone through that, but I'm not saying don't trust your partner, sure, but be aware of what's going on. Do you think that
0: As we look at the, uh, more so from the perspective of people saying, I'll just take a pill.
1: It angers me. It angers me because it gets me mad and it gets me very sad at the same time because it's not cured by a pill. You still have to go through the emotional devastation that HIV represents. Right,
0: but there's individuals who advocate... They'll say, because of things like truvada, that we don't need to engage in safer sex well, practices. how about all the
1: how about all the other sexual diseases that you can get how about strains of h i v that are yet unknown that aren't going to react positively to uh drug treatment? There could be another AIDS mm-hmm. epidemic for all we know sure. Act safely, as far as I'm concerned, the gay community has been given a second chance, and don't squander it sure. by being irresponsible. Yeah, and I think
0: that, you know, as long as people are being aware and they're, you know, they're making decisions, like whether you make a decision to... Wear condoms or to not wear condoms. Know right? the
1: know the consequences. Yeah, and accept and the consequences.
0: I wonder, and this is my fear. Nobody saw. I mean, the big thing used to be like gonorrhea, and before HIV, right? Syphilis, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. something. Yeah, and then nobody saw the HIV epidemic happening.
1: No, it it, it came quickly and by surprise. And I wonder
0: if, like you said, I mean, there have been some cases where people have... Are
1: drug-resistant.
0: Are drug-resistant to uh, Truvada, and they were on Truvada and the person. And there's arguments, specifically there's a group that they kind of push that it's like they see this as like the golden cure.
1: And it can also cause... There's no long-term studies because... I mean, now they're saying that truvada can lead to kidney and liver disorders.
0: Well, and they they and there's groups out there that will say, well, that's not that's not necessarily true. And you know, I mean, there's I think that to say, I'm just gonna take Truvada and kind of do my thing, uh, which is fine, but there is messaging that if I take this pill, that I'm gonna be, You're going to be okay. I'm going to be okay.
1: Cigarettes don't cause cancer. Right.
0: I mean, and so I think it's more so like educating people in how to make informed decisions
1: about their sexual health. Right. And everybody, everybody, when it comes to sex, as I'm sure you tell your clients, you're responsible for yourself.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. But there's still a stigma out there if, let's say, you are HIV positive and trying to date. Have you experienced that in your own?
1: Yes. And it's it's yeah, it's the whole it's the whole message that you're not clean, that you use drugs, that you're drug uh, a druggy and hiv positive the two go hand in hand you can't be hiv positive and not use drugs you know they're, they're the same thing you're an awful person you there's a judgment
0: yeah there definitely is a judgment and
1: well people will say you know and what i tell my clients specifically about that If you're on a date and somebody tells you that, oh, they don't want to be with you because you're HIV positive, you tell them if it's a problem for you, it's a bigger problem for me. Bye-bye. Sure. And you take back the power. Yeah, I really
0: think, you know, the the New York Department of Health recently uh, released a study that said if, let's say, the HIV is undetectable. That it's it's nearly not impossible to transmit. Mm-hmm.
1: That's true. That's true. But there is that tiny chance and listen, when people say they don't want to be with somebody who's HIV positive, I truly don't believe nowadays it's because they're fearful that they're going to contract the disease. I think there's still the stigma about being with somebody who's HIV positive, that they're not good enough. That that represent somehow Sure Some way a threat.
0: You know, I think it's if somebody was HIV positive and you're in a relationship with them, it's almost like there's an awareness they're in control of their health right if they're managing they're in better through, control yeah and so i think there's this whole i think what really starts to get my fire going is individuals who say well um, you know this is the this whole concept of being clean
1: it's disgusting yeah it, the word clean it disgusts me I'm I'm clean <laughs> I take a bath every day I take a shower I'm clean
0: I mean and if somebody says I am HIV negative and then you're engaging with them they could be HIV, HIV positive and not know right. that they are that they
1: are HIV positive so
0: I think the conversation I think it's important to have the conversation but that should not be a determination of whether you make a choice about whether to love somebody or not
1: And I don't think it should necessarily fall on the HIV positive person to have to reveal his status. Mm -hmm. It's incumbent upon both in the couple, in the partnership, to reveal it when they feel they're ready to reveal it. Mm -hmm. Because as far as I'm concerned, the partner who's HIV negative has to take responsibility for his own health. If he wants to know, ask. Sure. So... Have you heard of
0: um bug chasing? Yes. And why what, what are your thoughts on that? And so just uh, for a little education, bug chasers are individuals who actively seek to contract HIV.
1: And and a lot of times what I saw at housing works, a lot of times the reason for that is because they believe that they will get better benefits and access to benefits, meaning disability, um, housing, a lot of benefits that are afforded people who are HIV positive. Mm -hmm. Believe me, you don't want to be HIV positive in order to get housing and drug therapy, and it's not worth it.
0: Yeah, because it's a daily managing. It's something
1: that's with you your entire Mm -hmm. life, at least for now it's Mm -hmm. with you your entire life. But primarily bug chasers do it for financial reasons and financial gain.
0: Mm, that's interesting. And you worked in specifically oh, yeah. working, you know, oh yeah. With it, individuals. I mean there are I, I would say this that there is insurance, special insurance that the government covers, mm-hmm. you know, specifically ADAP, mm-hmm. ADAP uh that and covers Hossa housing. And, right, but I have when I used to work at a clinic, the people would say those ha, the housing through Hasa was very it was not nice.
1: You're not going to live mm-hmm. on Fifth Avenue,
0: right? You're not going to live on Fifth Avenue, and the, but there's a deeper there's a deeper thing going on when somebody is bug chasing.
1: Well, yeah, there's a self loathing. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody that is going to jeopardize their health for financial gain to me there's something going on that speaks to shame um ignorance uh there's it's just not you're not in the right frame of mind if you're looking to contract a disease
0: yeah i mean i think there's a lot of loathing um specifically amongst queer people and, and in, it, in addition to not s- saying that queer identified people are bug chasers, no. But,
1: but in addition to self loathing, there's uh, desperation. Mm-hmm. There's a desperation that unless they're sick, they can't make it in this world, and that's not true. And that's what we have to dissuade those people from believing. Yeah, it's interesting.
0: Yeah. So, well, thank you, Don. Thank you, Richie. It's been a lot of fun on the being with show. you. Sure. So thank if you'd like to, uh, Don practices here at the the Iris Kaplan Center. And if you'd like to go to the Iris Kaplan Center, check out our amazing community of practitioners. Go to www, uh, dot. Iris, I-R-I-S, hyphen, Kaplan, K-A-P-L-A-N, dot center. Or you can connect with Don Schmall at uh, his website, uh, DTSLCSW.com. Again, that's DTSLCSW.com. If you'd like to uh, connect with me, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Lake Rising. Therapy. Again, that's L A I K E rising therapy. Or you can send me an email at Richard.mills at Again, I'd like to thank Dawn for being on the show. Uh, and uh, next week I will be answering a series of questions from listeners who have written in. Uh, so if you have a burning question, feel free to reach out to me, uh, and I will answer those questions. Until next time, take care of yourself and those around you. Again, my name is Dr. Richard Mills, and you have been listening to Talk Sex with Dick.